Support for Carolina Business Review provided by Grant Thornton. Operating in more than 100 countries, our tax, audit, and advisory professionals specialize in helping companies unlock their growth potential. Blue Cross and Blue Shield of South Carolina, where healthcare is changing for the better. Find out how at ahealthysc.tv. And by Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. Well, happy summer and welcome to the most widely watched source of Carolina business and public policy. We are celebrating 25 years of continuous dialogue. I'm Chris William and thank you so much for supporting this program for so long. What if anything actually gets done while seemingly so many are on holiday and vacation? Well, during these lazy days of summer, and if you remove and look past the shrill atmosphere of issues like HB2 or the Confederate flag or Brexit, how do reasonable minds chronicle and manage the machinery of our current lifestyle, business, and commerce? Well, in a moment, Dr. Matthew Martin from the Federal Reserve Bank and North Carolina's former budget director under Pat McCrory, Lee Roberts, will enjoy the dialogue. Major funding also by Novant Health, bringing you world-class technology, clinicians, and care when and where you need it. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, health care, rural churches, and children's services. And by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of North Carolina, who's responsible for rising health care costs? Join us and many others in a candid discussion at letstalkcost.com. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, a panel discussion featuring Matt Martin of the Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond and Lee Roberts, Managing Director of Sharpview Capital. Well, happy summer. It's a hot summer. And, you know, guys, I'm, I'm smiling because we talked about it before, before we went on the air here. But Brexit, um, it was a surprise to many people now about a week and a half or two weeks ago. Matt, what, what, what was surprising to you about Brexit? Not just that the, that the polls didn't call it or maybe that the markets didn't price it, but what, 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 what kind of rolled off of you first when you heard the vote? I think it was the surprise. So markets had already priced in what they thought the polls were going to. And, and so obviously you have the uncertainty of a sudden switch to something else. And I think in the early days after this vote, it's that uncertainty and that kind of immediate adjustment in, in financial markets that's that's been evident. And Lee, with your not just North Carolina budget director for a stint, but you know, you know something about capital markets. So what was the first thing you thought about? Well, I think there was probably a little bit of an overreaction. I think financial markets tend to overshoot. I think the news media tends to overreact. And, and this is a long-term uh, macroeconomic development. And those don't tend to have uh, uh, decisive short-term impacts. I think we'll see the impact play out over time. Do you feel, I'm going to stay with you for just a second here, Lee, do you feel like 
in North Carolina, state fortunes at risk because of the Brexit vote and we and the unknowable around this? Well, look, the Carolinas have had a strong and vibrant trading relationship with Great Britain since 1663, about 300 years before Britain joined the common market. So I think we'll continue to have a strong and vibrant trading relationship with with Britain. You do wonder a little bit about currency movements. Both North and South Carolina are dependent on manufacturing more so than the average U.S. state. And so if you see a, a relative appreciation in the, do, in the dollar versus an important trading partner like the U.K., that's a relative negative for manufacturing in both states. But the, the direct impact of that, I think, would be attenuated over time. You, 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 Matt, when you hear Lee talk about the currency volatility, is that is that going to be some long-term pain for the Carolinas, or, or is there... I mean, is it going to be yeah. a problem? It, if it's persistent. So we'll, we'll see how this plays out over time. To Lee's point, if markets are overreacting, maybe they'll come back a little bit. But that linkage through uh, primarily exchange rates is an, an important one. I'd mm -hmm. note that uh, manufacturing is important for both North Carolina and South Carolina. If you look at trading partners and where exports go, South Carolina's uh, got more exposure to Britain and Europe in the sense that they've got the, the transportation, the heavy manufacturing, and those, are, those sorts of things going to, to uh, overseas would put them at a little bit more risk. Now, you gotta balance that out, right? They still have Volvo coming in. They've got some mm -hmm. developments and growth is, is generally pretty strong. So I'm not suggesting by saying that they have exposure that this, this would necessarily be a big economic hit. We'll, we'll see. Is there something more longer lasting though than just the currency hit for, for, this, for the Carolinas? And, and, Matt, stick with you for a second here. You know, when you talk about aerospace and automotive in South Carolina, they've clearly intentionally built that mm -hmm. out. Um, but could it be that orders start to decline because there is a oh, earlier recession than not for Europe and other places offshore? That could be. I guess that's always a risk. I mean, what we're seeing in the U.S. economy alone already is uh, heavy equipment, sort of business investment has kind of been flatlining, maybe maybe trailing down a little bit. So that's already uh, a weak point. It's balanced by a strong consumer, and, and certainly in the Carolinas, we've got really solid employment and, and income growth. So con the consumer sector is strong, but you do see some weakness on the business sector, and it would be a risk you'd want to track mm -hmm. going forward, definitely. Yeah, yeah, so, Lee, how, how do you see it? I mean, before we went on the air, you said about 20% of North Carolina was manufacturing-based, and that's, that's larger than a lot of states, mm -hmm. at least in exposure. Um, when you look at it through that lens, do you overly worry that there could be an oversized effect in North Carolina? I, I wouldn't be overly worried, in, in particular because North Carolina's manufacturing sector, even though North Carolina is more dependent than average on manufacturing, North Carolina's manufacturing sector is very diversified, more so than South Carolina's and more so than most manufacturing sectors. And so it's not dependent on a particular manufacturing segment and it's not dependent on a particular export market. North Carolina's economy is very strong. If you look so far this year, building permits are up, tax revenues continue to, to strengthen, um, and, and manufacturing has been strong so far this year in North Carolina. You know, Lee, this may not be a fair question, but I gotta ask you, I hear you, hear you talking about this, and coming out of the budget director's role, when you see some of these things like HB2, do you, what do you think gets eclipsed by the social debate that goes on around some of the issues, not just HB2, but um, you, you talked about the strength of North Carolina, the credit rating, those type of things. Does, do, those, do those type of very important measures for the old North State, do they come under risk 
because of the social issues or do you in your mind when you're driving down the road say, you know, we're missing the point that the state is in good shape and it's probably not going to be affected. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what, I mean, what kind of rolls off your mind? Well, I do think that it's unfortunate that sometimes these social issues can distract people from the more substantive issues, mm -hmm. particularly when it comes to business decisions about relocating a business or, or future investment. We've got an extremely strong state economy, 280,000 jobs created since the governor took office, comprehensive tax reform by some measures, some, one of the most comprehensive tax reforms undertaken anywhere in the last 20 years, significant investment in teacher salaries, and we just passed this bond issue, $2 billion in bond proceeds invested primarily in our educational infrastructure, science, technology, engineering, and math. Mm -hmm. So a lot of great things happening with respect to fiscal policy, pro-growth policy in North Carolina. And that's really what I, I, I hope and believe that people focus on when they're making decisions that put dollars at risk. And from the economic scientist point of view, mm -hmm. Matt, more clinically from the Fed, do you, yeah, do you believe yeah. that? So we, we key obviously keep tabs on the, the two-state region in support of monetary policy, trying to understand uh, what's happening. And I'd note that um, both states have economic momentum. So they're, think of, think of them like large ships. It's, it takes some time unless there's a significant event to sort of interrupt that momentum. And I, I think both states have pretty good momentum right now. They're seen as places that uh, people want to live, businesses want to want to grow. And certainly in the larger cities, they have sort of all the components that feed into growth. And we see those areas doing mm -hmm. quite well. We had uh, Dwayne Parrish, head of South Carolina Parks, Recreation, Tourism. We have Whit Tuttle from North Carolina Commerce that really was over, is over tourism for, for North Carolina. We had them together and they, I would say they were cautiously optimistic, Matt, and I'm looking at you to say, um, but they did say a lot of the RFPs that come into the markets like Wilmington and Charlotte, Asheville, Raleigh, Triangle, Triad, are down pretty dramatically. It, that is anecdotal evidence at best. The Fed likes anecdotal evidence. So have you heard that an issue like HB2, and again, not about the politics of HB2, but rather the example of HB2 could derail growth. Is that something that could happen? I, I haven't seen anything in our business context and the work we do that, that suggests that's a, a major issue. Uh, my own personal research, having been down at the beach not too long ago, that, <laughs> that travel and tourism business looks quite strong. And, and if you think about it, um, energy prices are pretty low. So those coming in from other states to, to spend their vacations in, in the Carolinas have an extra incentive to do so. Um, it looks like occupancy is very high right now. Mm -hmm. So it looks like it, it's shaping up for a good summer for sort of the consumer travel tourism, certainly. So let, let, let's look at some of this dialogue in the, in the context that we're in the shadow of an election year. Not so much, we're in the front yard of an election year. Um, someone said that the Brexit vote was surprising, but the real uh, interesting part of the Brexit vote is it could spell a surprise or an upset in November in the United States. Lee, do you think that that's a risk, that the polls going into November's election could actually be wrong and we could be surprised with whatever candidate that means? Well, I think clearly you're seeing a breakdown in uh, the accuracy of polling because polling is dependent on turnout models. And when those models, when turnout is different than the model predicts, then you get a different result. result. That happened with Brexit. You've seen it with some of the primary votes. Um, with both Sanders and Trump voters throughout the primary season, notably in Wisconsin and, and other places. And so 
uh, how accurate the polls will be going into November is is an open question. There's clearly a uh, an anti-establishment uh, sense taking place around the the developed world, mm -hmm. um, and I, I think it's tempting to to lay some of the blame at at, at the feet of. Uh, government fiscal policy. You know, if I were a central banker, I'd be feeling pretty beleaguered because central banks across the de developed world have undertaken heroic efforts for years now to try to support global growth, but with very little support from fiscal policy mm -hmm. at the national level. And I would argue in some cases with counterproductive fiscal policy and regulatory policy, which is why it's been so important in the Carolinas that we've seen with, with limited resources, few tools at their disposal, Governors McCrory, Governor Haley, taking advantage of the tools that they do have to try to support growth through fiscal policy, through tax reform, through regulatory mm -hmm. reform, through targeted investments in education and infrastructure. Does the, and it's not the right way to say it, but to follow up on Lee's thing, Dr. Martin, does, does the uh, running out of runway to some degree with monetary policy, you know, that is that the money, money's not been cheaper in a generation, if, if not longer, does this compel um, the state assemblies, the federal uh, congressional, does this, does this compel some fiscal policy action? I mean, will, will legislators have to do something now that the Fed has kind of run out of tools? You mean to, to support economic growth? Yeah, yeah to, I'm sorry, yes. So I'd, I'd be quoting Chair Yellen who would note that um, we haven't run out of policy options. Um, yes, rates are low, but there are, there are other things. There's still balance sheet and other things that we, we could consider, although she, she did say we're not thinking about negative rates at this point. Um, I, you would want, if we get to the point, and again, I don't see any, any sort of significant change in the pattern of growth at this point uh, in the Carolinas or, or more broadly, you would then want to see some things that might, might support growth. But um, we're not there. We, we do have, I would mention again, as I often do on this show, at the federal level, we have some long-run fiscal issues that, that we have to try and sort out. Meaning the balance, balance uh, fiscal the, issues. The, sorry, yeah, yeah the, well, the, the overall federal debt levels yeah. that, that we have to pay attention to over time. And uh, as you have increasing reliance on some of the, the programs like Medicare and Social Security. So that, that is gonna be a bit of a, of a hamstringing effect on, on fiscal policy as well. But right now, things look pretty good. So I'm not too concerned. I'm going to come back to you and ask you about interest rates, and I know how much you love that. But, uh, Lee, when you hear Matt talking about um, the tools that the Fed can use and you hear him talk about the, the expanded, dramatically expanded balance sheet, is that, is that the kind of the boogeyman in the closet? Are we going to, are we, is that something to fear? Is all of that debt that we're carrying on the public balance sheet? I agree with Matt. It's certainly not a positive. Um, and you would hope that uh, that governments would have taken advantage of a period of relative growth to address some of these long-term structural issues around entitlement reform and, and long-term imbalances. Instead, at least in the United States, I think federal policy has been to, if anything, exacerbate those, those problems with new entitlement commitments and, and greater regulation. Uh, again, which is why it's so important that, that forward-thinking governors and legislators in, in the Carolinas and elsewhere uh, have taken the few steps that they can with respect to fiscal policy to, to try to drive growth in their local state economies. So since you brought it up, let me ask you directly. Uh, you, you have highlighted that general assemblies in North and South Carolina have been fairly proactive about their own fiscal policy. Do you think Congress 
uh, is going to have to do something now that the Fed, and I'm, I'm not going to say run, doesn't have any more tools, but the Fed is limited in what they can do? Well, I grew up in Washington, and if that taught me one thing, it's to never try to predict what the U.S. Congress is, is going to do. But uh, yes, I think it's, uh, I think more constructive fiscal policy supporting growth is, is long overdue, not only at the national level in the U.S., but in developed countries around the world. Uh, central banks cannot do it entirely by themselves with monetary policy. So the, those that handicap this thing that we've all been looking at, is the Fed going to raise rates and now there are odds back and forth and it's become a very kind of public debate around the odds. What, what are the odds that the Fed's going to rate a quarter of a point this year? Maybe not in June, maybe in September. Uh, Matt, what, without asking you directly, because I know you can't comment on interest rates, but what now does the Fed do? You said the Fed still has tools. Beyond quantitative easing, what can the Fed employ to massage this economy to where it, it, the balance is, where you've got full employment and you've got stable prices? So I think it's worth uh, going over the process that the, the Fed and the FOMC go through. Uh, you'll hear FOMC members say repeatedly that they're data dependent. So they're, they're looking at data as it's incoming. I think a theme of our discussion is forecasting is hard, but you try and look at sort of the lay of the land as it is, what you think will happen based on what you know now. And then you have to be open to, a, to adjusting that as new data comes in. So that's, that's the first thing is to take them at the word when they say, we're gonna look at the data and we'll make a decision down the road. Um, I guess I think a theme of forecasts uh, have been, they've probably been a little more optimistic and we've sort of, regress back for the U.S. economy towards this 2% growth rate when it's looked like mm -hmm. in periods we might actually, uh, at least we, you, you see the forecast, we might be a little bit uh, stronger than that. So that's still, that's still pretty solid. It's moving the economy forward. Uh, unemployment rates are quite low at this point. So there's, um, you're sort of anticipating that, that we're going to have a turn in the business cycle that we, we aren't seeing yet. Not that the risks mm -hmm. aren't out there, but, but we're not there yet. Well, it's the fifth longest expansion yeah. in about 100 years. So at some point, we do run out of room, and the cycle is very alive and well, don't you think? Well, I, I heard someone say, uh, you know, expansions don't die of old age. Um, I think it was a well-known economist. I can't remember who right now. And they were making the point that usually some imbalance in the economy arises. So you would want to look and see, do we, do we have something that's Forecasting's hard, identifying bubbles is hard, but you would want to look for some place where there's an obvious yeah. imbalance out there, right? Well, now. and also the, the, the famous economist Milton Friedman also said in a very dark moment, said in the long run, we're all dead. That's too. right. I don't know that I want to <laughs> think about that too much. Uh, Lee, when you, when you hear Matt's comments, a um, couple questions. Do you think the Fed will not adjust rates in calendar year 2016? And when you, when you hear Matt talk about the economy in terms of full employment and an expected 2% GDP growth, do you agree with that? Well, I think markets are, are showing right now that they expect a Fed hike no earlier than February 2017. And, and I'm not going to second guess the broad weight of market opinion on that. that Even though it was wrong about the Brexit, <laughs> right? Well, that's true. <laughs> um, but you know, in the fourth quarter of, of last year, the prediction was for four rate hikes over the course of this calendar year. We've had one since then, and I think it's likely that we won't have another one this calendar year and, and probably not before the first quarter, midway through the first quarter of, of next year, just based on mm -hmm. what market sentiment is right now. In terms of overall U.S. growth, um, 
you know, I, I think it's a difficult time to be making forecasts about that in, 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 in the market. We have, uh, we have a, a lot of tailwinds. Um, energy prices are, are supportive, as, as Matt mentioned. Um, and I think we, uh, we generally have decent growth in most sectors of, of the economy. Uh, but there's also significant long-term imbalances. Wage growth has been very flat. Um, job creation has been subpar. Um, especially given historic norms for, for this stage in our recovery. And so it's an uncertain time. We're optimistic based on where we are specifically, geographically. Um, we're fortunate to be in the Carolinas. But in terms of overall, um, uh, overall national economic performance, uh, it, it's been uncertain now for, for several years, and I think that that level of uncertainty is likely to continue. And it comes back to your political point. When, when people are uncertain about, about growth, about their economic prospects, that has political implications. Mm -hmm. You know, it, somebody said this, and it wasn't, wasn't very elegant, but obviously it was very informative. And they said, you know, we could do a whole lot of things wrong, meaning here in the Carolinas, and our in-migration would bail us out, meaning more people moving to the state than, than states than moving away. Is that, is that accurate? Do you, well, do you feel that? Well, in-migration solves a lot of problems, and, and, and having the level of growth that we've had, that we've been fortunate to have for a long time, is, is important and allows us to do a lot of things that, that a lot of states can't do. Mm -hmm. A great example is, is pension reform. So we have a, a relatively well-funded pension plan. It's not fully funded in North Carolina, state public employee pension, pension plan. But we have the luxury of putting that on a stable footing for the next 50 years without a crisis. Whereas states that are losing population, that are seeing economic contraction, are being forced to revise their pension commitments in an atmosphere of exigency, in, mm -hmm. in, in, in a crisis mm -hmm. atmosphere. But you can't take long-term in-migration for granted. The people who are moving to the Carolinas are by definition mobile, and they're making decisions about where they want to live and work and, and raise a family, and in many cases, retire, and they have choices, which is why it's so important to continue to make sure that we're staying as competitive as possible. That's why the governor and the General Assembly in North Carolina are so focused on relative tax rates and why tax reform continues to be a significant priority because that's a key aspect of decision making when people think about where they're going to move. Mm -hmm. We've got a couple minutes left and you know we've been talking about some dire challenges uh, right in front of us and also long term. Uh, one of the brightest spots has been construction, commercial real estate. It's hard to go to any market. The low country is one of the hottest growing markets in the country, literally, if not the hottest growing market. Matt, what is the frothy nature, what is the risk around commercial real estate? Yeah, I think you mentioned the low country, and uh, I think there's a build out there anticipating Volvo and uh, a supplier network. So you think they're over the tips of their skis on that kind of growth, though? I, I, don't, I don't see it yet. Um, uh, that's that's a pretty healthy ecosystem if it looks anything like BMW looks in the upstate region mm -hmm. when it's fully built out so you can understand that and there were already some some evident shortages before Volvo so I think I think that looks fairly healthy and I think most of the looking across most of the major markets in the Carolinas I think that's the case the one that I always have the question about though is the multifamily market where there's a lot being built out um, there might be some early evidence that rent growth is starting to slow, so maybe that's a market that really bears watching. Um, but it's interesting then, if you look, that might, there might be an interesting tilt in the balance between multifamily and single family over 
say, the next six months or a year. And commercial developers will do maybe what they've done in every cycle and that they'll build until they run out of money or, or they hit a wall. Lee, do you have any uh, concerns or what do you think of the commercial real estate? Well, space? what you worry about in the coastal markets, including the low country, is that they're more volatile. Yeah, uh, because and we've you, got about 30 seconds. Yeah, um, uh, what's happening in the South Carolina low country is that it's turning from a retiree and second home community into one that's supported more by, by underlying economic drivers like Volvo. Um, I agree that multifamily, particularly in Charlotte and Raleigh, if it's not overheated, you can see overheated from here. The, the good news, and this is anecdotal, Matt probably has the data that he can't divulge, but we're seeing lenders uh, be, impose some discipline on the construction market. We, we hear frequently about projects either not getting financed or being financed at lower levels of leverage and with, with uh, more restrictive yeah. terms. And so that's a healthy sign, I think, of yeah. the market disciplining itself. Th thank you, sorry to cut you off. Uh, so maybe the old adage about one thing we learn from history is we don't learn from history might not be in the case with the lenders. <laughs> thank you, gentlemen, for being on the program. I appreciate you having you both. Thank you, my pleasure. Happy summer. Until next week, I'm Chris William. Good night. Major funding for Carolina Business Review was provided by the Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, health care, rural churches, and children's services. Blue Cross and Blue Shield of North Carolina, who's responsible for rising health care costs? Join us and many others in a candid discussion at letstalkcost.com. Grant Thornton, operating in more than 100 countries, our tax audit and advisory professionals specialize in helping companies unlock their growth potential. Novant Health, bringing you world-class technology, clinicians, and care when and where you need it. Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. Blue Cross and Blue Shield of South Carolina, where healthcare is changing for the better. Find out how at ahealthysc.tv and by viewers like you. Thank you. Promotional consideration provided by Business North Carolina Magazine. For more information, visit carolinabusinessreview.org.